Have you ever wanted to dive deeper into scripture? If so, you're in luck, because every day there's a new scripture reflection from the thoughtful staff at America Media, thinking through big questions together, like, what do Catholics believe about guardian angels? And what can Gen Zers take away from the Gospels? If you're already a subscriber, you can access these reflections in your email inbox or on our website. If you'd like to become a digital subscriber, it's easy to do. Just visit americamagazine.org slash subscribe, and you'll have full access to America's Scripture Reflections. Welcome to Inside the Vatican with America Media. Each week, veteran Vatican correspondent Gerard O'Connell and I take you behind the headlines for an intergenerational conversation about the biggest stories out of the Vatican. Pope Francis has described Africans as a special case in relation to opposition to homosexuality. The Pope was being asked to comment on the recent declaration issued by the Doctrine of the Faith, allowing the blessing of same-sex couples. In a lengthy and wide-ranging interview with the Italian daily newspaper La Stampa, Pope Francis spoke candidly about his feelings of loneliness and again defended blessings for same-sex couples. There hadn't been a new bishop consecrated within the framework of the Vatican-China Provisional Agreement since 2022. Now, within one week, there has been two. Pope Francis has created a new diocese in Weifang, China, and accelerated the pace of approving new bishops, which had been stalled for the last year. We'll examine these moves in light of the already complex relationship between the Vatican and China. I'm Colleen Deli. This is Inside the Vatican. Good morning from New Orleans, Jerry. Good afternoon from a beautiful sunny day in Rome, Colleen, even if the temperature is under 60 degrees Fahrenheit. (laughs) It's a little cold, but also sunny here, too. And I'm more grateful to have the sun than anything. So, Jerry, Pope Francis gave a long interview in La Stampa. I know you have your newspaper right there. To your former colleague, Domenico Agasso, it ran two full newspaper pages. And in it, the Pope got a little more personal than he usually does. Can you tell us first about what he said about loneliness? Well, he said loneliness is like springtime. He said one day it's beautiful and the next day you have clouds and it's rather dark. Certainly a feeling we can relate to right now. Absolutely. And he said anybody who says he or she doesn't experience loneliness in their life. He says they're a person who's missing something. Yeah, absolutely. So he said, I too experience loneliness. And how do I face it? And he says, above all, my first reaction is to go and pray. He's said this before in various ways that his resort in times of difficulty is to go and pray. He says, sometimes I go and sit in front of the tabernacle. I can even fall asleep, he says sometimes, but the Lord knows I'm there. (laughs) And then if I realize there are tensions around me, as is not infrequent, I think, in the Pope's life, he says, uh, I try to keep calm and try to open a dialogue with those in question. But he says, I I continue day to day. It's a rare insight into the very personal life of the Pope. Jerry, he also spoke about having this sense of inner peace. You wrote about this in your book about his election, the conclave of 2013. But he talks about this sense of inner peace that he felt settled on him during his election. Yes, that's not new, really, as as it's in my book also, that he went into conclave not thinking he would be elected. He thought he was too old. He entered the conclave on the afternoon of the 12th of March, 2013. 
lunchtime on the 13th of March, some hours before he was actually elected, some cardinals came and said, come and sit with us. We would like to talk with you. And these were not really the people he'd been very close to. And so they started asking him questions. And he said, I began to suspect that something is happening here, but it wasn't enough to stop me taking my siesta after lunch. (laughs) Which he still does, right? Yes, yes. After lunch, he takes about a 45-minute siesta. So he took his siesta, and then he came in to the Sistine Chapel. So anyway, he went in, and he said when it became clear and the votes were cast, and he was, in fact, voted, he said, I had a deep, surprising sensation of inner peace. And in in fact, he said in various interviews since, and he said, that peace has never left me. And so when I hear people saying, oh, well, the Pope got really upset, etc., they forget that he has that underlying inner peace, even in the midst of tensions and loneliness, etc. And he has described it as a grace of office, that it's a, a gift from God to him in his role as Pope. Not to undermine that, but I was very touched by a comment he made in this interview about prayer. Just the fact that he called it, he said, the Italian word was a una lotta, a struggle or a conflict or wrestling with God. And I was like, that's that that made me feel seen. I was like, that that is how prayer feels sometimes. Yes, he's he's always described it as this, that sometimes you really have to wrestle with God if you want him to do something. The message really was that one may get a, even a surprise of peace in the midst of what seems a a conflict that's not going to stop. So to get into some of the newsy stuff, the Pope also defended the Declaration Fiducia Supplicans. This is a declaration that opened the door for priests to bless couples in same-sex relationships or in irregular situations, as the Church calls them. Let's just review what he had to say about Fiducia Supplicans to La Stampa here. Yes, we use this Latin term, Colleen, Fiducia Supplicans, which I'm sure the vast majority of our audience will not understand its meaning. It means asking or requesting with trust to God to give you a blessing. Right. Our our listeners may not know this. A lot of these Latin names for documents come from the first few words of the document. So that's a lot of the Vatican II documents you'll see that with, for example. So this document opens with the supplicating trust of the faithful people of God receives the gift of blessing. So that supplicating trust, that's the part that then becomes the title. Pope. Francis, on the Friday, 26th of January, spoke twice on this question, one in a more formal setting when he met the plenary assembly of the Dicastery for the Doctrine of the Faith, which issued the decree. And the other time he talked about it that day was in this interview with La Stampa. So they were actually given on the same day. Exactly. The message was much the same in both. In the formal meeting with the Dicastery for the Doctrine of the Faith, he addressed the question in the context of evangelization, trying to bring the gospel of Christ to people and bring people closer to God. This is the whole concept. He said, as part of that, I approve the declaration on blessings. And he said, we're blessing people who've asked for a blessing to help them continue on a journey of faith, or maybe even to begin a journey of faith. Right. One of the big quotes he says is that these blessings do not require moral perfection to be received. Yes, and that's in the original declaration as well. And it's also very clear in the clarification of the original declaration. 
Right, this is the press release. Yes, that came out in January. You are not really doing a check on whether the person is in a moral condition to receive your blessing or not. And indeed, in the interview, Francis made very clear this point. He said that we're not making a list of who should be in the church and who should not be in the church. The Lord has opened the door for everybody to come in. I remember in our report from Lisbon World Youth Day, that, that famous phrase of the Pope, todos, todos, todos. Everyone can come in. Everyone, everyone, everyone. He said that's the gospel story. And that is how the Lord Jesus looks towards the people. There's room for everybody. The Pope also spoke about people who are resistant to fiducia supplicans, which we've covered a bit on this show. He said that those who vehemently protest, I'm reading this quote here, those who vehemently protest belong to small ideological groups. And then painting with a broad brushstroke, I feel like, describing the church in Africa, which had this response that was public saying that they prefer not to give these blessings. He described Africa as, quote, a special case. And he says, for them, homosexuality is something ugly. You could also translate it as bad from a cultural point of view. They do not tolerate it. But he said, I trust that gradually everyone will be reassured about the spirit of the declaration, which aims to include, not divide. So it sounds like he thinks that there's resistance to fiducia supplicans in Africa because of the cultural aversion to homosexuality, but at the same time, he thinks that they'll come around. Is that right? Basically, he, he sees two categories of opposition. One from what he calls the small ideological groups. And, and we know this very well from Document on the Family after the Synod on the Family, Amoris Laetitia, the joy of love. And these are obviously some bishops, some priests, some lay people also, but mainly bishops who've been the more vocal, who didn't like his opening to the possibility of communion for the divorce and remarried. Many of those who are opposed to giving blessings to people in same-sex unions, many of them are the same people. What's the second area of opposition? The second area is the opposition in Africa. How does he see that as different? The Pope attributes the situation in Africa basically to a cultural rejection of homosexuality. He didn't mention the fact that there's also legal problems. Homosexuality is criminalized, I think, in 30 countries. And in some punishable by death. And also can provoke interreligious tensions between Christians and Muslims. The Pope didn't say that, but I understand that this was an issue that came up in the plenary assembly of the doctrine for the faith. And Jerry, just to wrap that up, you have a full article on that plenary assembly, the meeting of the DDF, in which the Pope addressed fiducia supplicans in part. I also have an analysis up more generally about how Cardinal Fernandez is changing the direction of the DDF. So we'll put both of those in the show notes. And also I'll link to our roundtable discussion with our national correspondent, Michael Lachlan, about fiducia supplicans and the reactions to it. So I want to shift our focus a bit now to the Pope's words on the two major wars that he's been following closely, Ukraine and Israel and Palestine. On Israel-Palestine, he said, and this was the headline quote for us, that there will be no true peace in Israel until the two-state solution is implemented. And he expressed hope in 
peace talks. And then I thought this was really interesting. He revealed that he talks by video chat to the Holy Family Parish in Gaza every single day. I just want to spend some time on this. What stood out to you in this part? Well, that is not news. He, he said several times that he, he talks to them every day. He also talks to other people down there. He talks with the Patriarch of Jerusalem, Cardinal Pizzaballo, who was in Chicago last week. Francis is a pope who goes outside, let's say, the traditional structural framework for conversations in conflict situations. He, he goes and talks to people. Are you referring to how ordinarily a pope would talk to like the nuncios, his own representatives there, but maybe not to regular folks so much like he tends to do? Yes. For Francis, I've seen with my own wife, he made it quite clear that when she was reporting on the war in Ukraine, he was calling her every few days to find out she was moving near the front lines. He wanted to know what was happening down there. And he was doing this to other people too. This is his style. At the end of that interview with La Stampa, he said, I feel like a parish priest. Yeah. I like to be among the people. And I find God there among the people. I think this is real classic Francis. This is the core of how he has seen himself right from day one of his role as Pope. He wants to be personally in touch with what is happening on the ground. It's good to have information filtered through the various channels of the Secretariat of State, of his nuncios, the Vatican ambassadors in the different countries, other people who will come in from government. But he also wants to have his own channels. And what he's doing in Gaza, he's phoning them every day through Zoom. He's seeing the faces of the people there. And this is enormous encouragement, this small group. 600 people, I think, are staying there. And they tell him what they're experiencing. And he says... They are living each day, not knowing whether they're facing death in the face. That's what he said. And that is, in fact, the reality for 2.3 million people in Gaza. None of them, and I've heard from so many people there, but also from all the reports I've heard, nobody knows whether they will be alive tomorrow morning. Jerry, the Pope spoke about praying for peace. He spoke about the need for a two-state solution as the path to peace, which is something that he said before and has been the Vatican's lied on this for a long time. He also expressed a hope in peace talks that are happening. And I know you said a bit more on that in your article. Can you just tell me what he's referring to? Yes, there, there were peace talks going on in France involving the United States, Israel, Egypt, and Qatar. Now, today we know we're talking on Tuesday, the 30th of January. A peace proposal has emerged from there, which has now been given to Hamas, who were not part of that talk. But the Pope in the interview was very clear. He says, my constant message is stop immediately the bombing and the missiles. Put an end to the hostile attitudes. In every place, the war is a defeat for humanity, calling repeatedly for ceasefire, stop the fighting. That is his central message. He has also, of course, appealed repeatedly for the liberation of the hostages right from day one. And Jerry, there's also been the war in Ukraine that's been dragging on for years. And we covered very closely the Pope's efforts to push for peace in that situation too. And again, this is a case where it doesn't seem like he's being listened to, like his appeals are being heard. He talked about Ukraine in this interview. Can you give me an update on what he said? 
the Pope has always sought to find a way to bring the conflict to an end. They told him, it's not up to you to mediate. But in the interview, he said, I have sent Cardinal Zuppi, the president of the Italian Bishops' Conference, to try to work towards reconciliation between the two sides. And he said his task is to help prisoner exchange, help to bring home the more than 20,000 kids who have been forcibly taken out of the Ukraine to Russia. He said he's gone to Kiev, to Moscow, to Washington, D.C., and to Beijing on that mission, and he's still on it. And he said there have been some prisoner exchanges, and there have been some very small number of children who come back. Jerry, what's your view on how this is all progressing? I mean, we haven't heard much about it. Does that mean that it's stalled? The reality is that nobody wants to stop the war. The Ukrainians don't want to stop the war until the Russian troops pull back and they have their territories. Putin, who is standing for election in March, doesn't want to concede anything. So he feels that he is in the strong position now. It seems to be at a stalemate stage, this war in Ukraine, after almost 700 days. And Francis said, basically, how many more people have to die? As we mentioned, this is a really wide-ranging interview. I will just mention a few other news items from it. The Pope did confirm that he plans to take trips to Belgium, East Timor, Papua New Guinea, and Indonesia, and that he is keeping Argentina on the table. And he said that he would meet with Argentine President Javier Malay when Malay is in Rome next month for the canonization of an Argentine saint. We're going to take a quick break, and when we come back, we'll talk about the institution of a new diocese and the installation of a new bishop in China. Stay with us. Diplomats from the Vatican and Beijing have come to a provisional agreement on the appointment of Catholic bishops in China. The terms of the deal are not public. The Vatican acknowledges that the agreement does not address other important matters, but focuses only on the appointment of new bishops. Welcome back. The conversation you're about to hear was recorded on Tuesday, January 30th. Throughout it, we referred to the appointments of two new Chinese bishops. The day after this conversation was recorded, January 31st, the Vatican announced the appointment of a third bishop in China. That most recent appointment isn't reflected in our discussion. On Monday, January 29th, the Vatican announced that it was suppressing or shutting down its apostolic prefecture in Yiduzhan, China. This is basically a, a pre-diocese designation. They also said that they were establishing a new diocese of Weifang, which covered much of the same territory. The Vatican Press Office also said that a new bishop, Bishop Antonio San Wenjun, was ordained that same day. So Jerry, even though the Holy See's deal with China is analyzed often in light of broader Vatican-China relations, it really only specifically covers the appointment of bishops, which is what we're talking about here. And we have to note, it hasn't always been followed. The Vatican said that Bishop Sun was appointed according to the deal's protocols. Can you just remind us what those are? The protocol, which was signed in September 2018 in Beijing, envisaged that the local church, that's in the local diocese, would 
select candidates. They would vote, a democratic vote, by priests, by lay people, by religious in the diocese, for candidates to be the next bishop of a given diocese. That name that came out top would then be passed to the bishops' conference in China, which is not recognized by the Holy See, and then approved by the government. And then the name would come to Rome, to the Pope. The Pope would have the final say. He could say, I agree with it, or no. If he says no, he has to give his reasons. And then we have to see how China would react. This hasn't been tested in these six years. In the six years, we've had only eight bishops ordained in China for diocese. Of those eight, two had already been approved before the provisional agreement of September 2018. So we've had six. That's including these two in the past week. Out of how many dioceses that need to be filled? Well, this is another question. According to the Vatican, there are about 144 dioceses, including 32 vicariates or prefectures. So the Vatican has around 144 dioceses. China, before the agreement with the Patriotic Association, etc., they had reduced the number of dioceses to 96. So there is a gap between the number of dioceses that China recognizes, 96, the number of dioceses that Vatican recognizes, 144. There are more than 30 dioceses without a bishop today. Oh, wow. So it's a lot. In, in fact, in 2018, when they approved the provisional agreement, there was around 30 dioceses without it. There's more now, in fact. Now, Jerry, you mentioned that disparity between the, the counts of dioceses that the Vatican has and the count that China has. In this appointment, we saw the formation of a new diocese, which isn't something that's previously been paired with bishop's appointments under the deal and isn't something that the deal specifically addresses. Do you think that change to include this redistricting now is significant? Yes, my understanding is that the Vatican China had a, a meeting not so long ago, and I, I think they must have begun to address these questions. When the provisional agreement was being worked upon, the Vatican had a whole list of issues that they wanted discussed. One was the situation of the underground bishops, those not recognized by the government, those who did not want to be recognized by the government. One was the question of the Vatican having a delegate in China who could go and meet the bishops. The third was the possibility of opening an office in China. There were many issues, but China always said before the signing of the agreement, we will discuss those only after we have signed the agreement. But since 2018, China has been very reluctant to address any of these. But it seems that in the last meeting, they have at least addressed one of these, because agreeing on the number of dioceses is an important issue. The Vatican is ready to discuss the number of dioceses, but they want it not to be a unilateral decision by China. If you've got one agreed new diocese, and the Vatican published the news about it, it means that they have, at least in one situation, they've addressed it. But it seems to me that they still have not addressed the overall question of all the dioceses, because there is a gap, that there is a gap that the Vatican has almost 50 dioceses that China 
does not recognize. And Jerry, I was reading one analysis of this that said that basically this decision to redraw the diocese in this way was putting the Vatican's definition of that diocese in accord with China's borders for that diocese. And so this was incorporated into a larger criticism of the deal that is often levied, which is that the Vatican seems to be more conciliatory towards China in this deal than China has been towards the Vatican. China has not held up its end of the deal. It has appointed new bishops without approval, only or only notified the Holy See a couple days before the installation of a new bishop. And meanwhile, the Vatican has been criticized for having its hands tied, not being willing to speak out against, for example, China's human rights abuses, because they want to keep this dialogue open with China. And so I'm curious, like in the sense of the broader Vatican-China relationship, do you feel like this is a step forward? Do you feel like it's a step back? Is it a stalemate? How do you read it? How I read it is that China has always had the upper hand here. I remember before the provisional agreement was signed, one senior Vatican official said to me, it's as if China has the dagger in its hand. Yeah, because China doesn't need the Vatican, but the Vatican feels like it needs China to operate the church. Yes, but China understands that it it cannot operate a church that is recognized universal church without the Vatican recognizing it. So the, the, it's not just all one-sided, but the Vatican saw that China could have imposed bishops on those 30 or more dioceses that didn't have them, independent of Rome, and they would effectively be government puppets. But they have avoided that by reaching the agreement on the nomination of bishops. But there are many other questions, and China has been very very reluctant in these six years to really address them in a constructive way. The discussions have not been easy. The Vatican will tell you this, and other sources also make clear. What we now know that we've had two bishops approved in this past week. Before that, I had heard that there were, in fact, three approved. So there's still one other name to come. Because often they're approved before they're announced. They said that this bishop, Bishop Sun, who I mentioned in the intro, was actually appointed April 20th. Yes, this is not unusual. But you've got three bishops suddenly after a hiatus of a long time where nothing seemed to be happening. Even the meetings for the Vatican and China to have the two sides come together for a discussion, for a negotiation, seemed to be a problem for China. And indeed, the, the last two meetings, as, as I understand it, have been taking place in China, not in Rome. Jerry, this is going to be an ongoing story for us to cover this year because the deal will be up for renewal in September, October of this year. So we'll have more on this come the fall. And in the meantime, we'll keep our listeners up to date on further appointments that are made or announced. So. I know, Jerry, you're planning to do some more reporting on this, some analysis. We'll just tell our listeners to stay tuned, keep an eye on americanmagazine.org. And if anything comes out before this podcast comes out, we will, of course, link to it in the show notes. Jerry, thanks for the conversation with me today. I appreciate it. I especially was aware of the fact that we're digging really deep into some of your expertise here as the former Asia news reporter. Well, it's a whole big area because, as you said in your report, the Pope is going to visit four more countries in the continent. And at the back of it, I know that he wants also to go to Vietnam. He sees Asia as the future of the church. All right, Jerry, we'll keep an eye on that. 
And just a couple headline stories before we go. First, the Vatican Appeals Court has overturned its previous acquittal of Father Gabriele Martinelli. He was accused of sexually abusing a fellow seminarian when he studied at the St. Pius X pre-seminary, which until 2021 was located inside Vatican City. Martinelli has not been taken into custody because he can still appeal to Vatican's highest court. And according to a report from Religion News Service, in February at a meeting of the Synod's Organizing Council, Pope Francis will be presented with a list of topics that require further reflection from the Synod. This includes women deacons, the formation of priests, and proposed reforms to the Church's catechism. He's expected to approve commissions to study these and present reports before the next meeting of the Synod in October. And on that question of the formation of future priests, we have a deep dive coming up very soon about that exact question in light of the questions that the Synod has been asking about priestly formation. And finally, Canadian Cardinal Gérald de Croix has, he says, temporarily stepped down from his responsibilities leading the Archdiocese of Quebec. The Cardinal is currently facing a lawsuit in which a woman alleges she was sexually abused by Lacroix when she was 17. Lacroix denies the allegations but says he is temporarily withdrawing from his activities until the situation is clarified. You can read more on that and all of this week's stories at the link in our show notes. Inside the Vatican is a production of America Media. It's produced by myself and Ricardo da Silva. Audio engineering by Kevin Christopher Robles. Production assistance from Delaney Coyne, our O'Hare Media Fellow. Our executive producer is Sebastian Gomes. To keep up with the latest news out of the Vatican, please follow us on X at I-N-S-D-E Vatican Pod. That's inside without the second I, Vatican Pod. You can follow me on X and Instagram at Colleen Deli. That's C-O-L-L-E-E-N-D-U-L-L-E. And you can find Jerry on X at Jerry O. Rome. That's G-E-R-R-Y-O-R-O-M-E. Please also consider becoming a digital subscriber to America Media. Just click on the link in our show notes. It's easy to do. It's the best way to support our work here on Inside the Vatican. And if you have a little time to spare, please leave us a review on Apple Podcasts or your favorite podcast app. For America Media with Gerard O'Connell, I'm your host and producer, Colleen Dilley. We'll see you next time. Have you ever wanted to dive deeper into scripture? If so, you're in luck, because every day there's a new scripture reflection from the thoughtful staff at America Media, thinking through big questions together, like, what do Catholics believe about guardian angels? And what can Gen Zers take away from the Gospels? If you're already a subscriber, you can access these reflections in your email inbox or on our website. If you'd like to become a digital subscriber, it's easy to do. Just visit americamagazine.org slash subscribe, and you'll have full access to America's scripture reflections.